today's scripture reading will be in Matthew 3, 1 through 17. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who has spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's cloths were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the, and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, Coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You broad of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you do come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and a lightning on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. It was indeed a very good job, Hope. Thank you. Much better than her grandfather, that's for sure. <laughs> I keep warning him. If he keeps making fun of my microphone, I'm going to have to find a mullet picture of him. I know they exist. <laughs> so how often have we chased after a promise and maybe didn't follow through or the promise itself could not follow through? Thinking of things like maybe a diet, right? January 1st is coming, guys. We're all going to make those promises, aren't we? I'm going to lose weight, and here's the diet plan I'm going to use to do that. And we start out maybe for a month. Then what happens? Slowly we stop pursuing that diet. Maybe retirement plans, right? I'm going to, I'm going to get a retirement plan. I'm going to get all that together. I'm going to invest my money, and I'm going to take care of that, and I'm going to be able to retire. And you see presentations on it over and over and over again. You get told how often it's so important you need to do this. Like, yes, I'm going to do it. And then you just never follow through. 
Or maybe the promises that maybe come from something like a get-rich-quick scheme. The promises ultimately can't be fulfilled. They, they, don't, they don't have what it takes to fulfill those promises. Now, thinking about promises and, and, and even sometimes our own poor pursuits of promises, Jesus tells a story uh, to illustrate this. He, he uses a story of a, of, a, of a man who finds treasure in a field. Now, imagine this. Imagine you were digging around in the dirt one day and you came across buried treasure. Right? Pirates buried treasure, exactly. Uh, Amber's over here going, Arr. Right? You found a chest, right? You found a chest full of valuable gold. What do you do? Right? What do you do? Now, one option might be like, if it's not your land, you might be like, I gotta hide this and take it and quick and run away. Or you could do what the guy in the story Jesus told does. He sells everything he has and buys that field. Right? Because the guy, if the owner doesn't know it's there, buy the field, now it's yours. You don't have to steal it from somebody else's land. Okay? Now think about how passionate is that of a pursuit, right? There's this treasure in a field. He sells everything he has, right? All of his boats, all of his RVs, his cars, his house, his TV, guys, his TV, even his satellite dish, right? Sells everything so that he can buy that field. That is a passionate pursuit. And I imagine we might do something similar if we had the same kind of opportunity. We may follow something like that in a similar passion. Today we're going to talk a little bit uh, part of what we're going to talk about is, is, is passionately pursuing wisdom. The title of the sermon is Treasure Wisdom. Now that kind of works on two levels. One, wisdom is a treasure, and this, this proverb describes wisdom as a treasure. But not only that, we are also told to treasure it as a verb, not just as a noun, but also as a verb. We are supposed to treasure and cherish wisdom. Let's read this proverb together. Uh, I, wanna, I want you to notice a couple of things. I want to make a couple of structural notes on how I have been fascinated as I've studied this proverb this week. I've been fascinated with just the structure of how this is put together. It's beautiful. I love how it's put together. And I want to I share this with you. So as we read along, you can kind of start to notice it yourself. So kind of give you a little bit of a depth to, your, to our reading today. Um, in the original Hebrew, this actually is one big, long sentence. All 22 verses is one long sentence in the original languages. Now, in our English translations, it is broken up a little bit, um, but again, that's because English can't do that. We can't have 22 verse long sentences because that would be a big run-on sentence. That'd be bad grammar, and yeah, that would be unhelpful all the way around, but in Hebrew, you could do this. You have this big, long sentence. In fact, Paul does this a lot in the Greek as well. He has this big, long run-on sentences. Anyway, Proverbs chapter 2 is one big long sentence. You'll notice in the first, uh, first 11 verses, this kind of breaks down into verses 1 through 11 and verses 12 through 22. It's kind of the natural division of the text. In fact, in, in, uh, in, in the first couple of verses you have in 1 through 11 is one big if-then statement. Right? Remember that from English, right? You say, if you do this, then this will happen. If you do this, then this will happen. That's an if-then statement. Now look here in verse, uh, just, just find the word here. In verses 1, 3, and 4, you have if, 
in verse 1, if in verse 3, and if in verse 4, right? Then look at verse 5, then, and then verse 9, then. Verse 5 and verse 9 start sections that are the then to the if, right? 1 through 4 presents the if, 5 through 11 presents the then, Right, and those are introduced in those two sections. So that's really a really neat aspect here. These two sections as well, verses chapter uh, section one through eleven, uh, and sections twelve, uh, verses twelve through twenty-two, also break up into some other natural divisions. Uh, there's sections of four verses, four verses, and three verses in one through eleven, and then four, four, and three in chapter in in verse in up through verse 22 you'll kind of you, you'll kind of notice that as we read through this get this 443 443 it's it's the exact same thing in both sections these sections got to have this natural division to them also you'll notice in these verses each of these verses one verse is actually they're a, they're a couplet right so it's two phrases in every single verse the first vra- phrase presents an idea and the second phrase repeats the idea but not just repeats it intensifies it makes it that much stronger let me show you what we're talking about here just just looking at verse 1 and 2 right verse 1 says my son if you receive my words there's the first section and treasure up my commandments with you right receive is intensified to treasure words is intensified to commandments you notice how grammatically this gets it gets between the first half of the verse and the second half of the verse it gets stronger right notice the same thing in verse two making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding right make your ear attentive is intensified to in, to uh, incline your heart and then uh, insight is intensified to understanding. And every single verse does this same exact pattern. It brings up an idea and intensifies it in the second half. This perfect order, as we look at this passage, we read it together. I want to share this with you too. This perfect order reflects a bigger idea that Proverbs describes the way life is supposed to work. As we've already seen, this perfect order in this particular chapter, just in these 22 verses, reflects the greater idea that the book of Proverbs is sharing with us the way life is supposed to work, the way God created life to work. All these promises, though, as we've also seen, all the promises of the book of Proverbs, they may not happen now, but they will be fulfilled eventually, even if at the judgment. Sometimes the promise is not fulfilled until the final judgment. Now, with all that in mind, let's go to this passage and read it with our eyes wide open. Beginning in verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, and search for it as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul discretion will watch over you understanding will guard you 
delivering you from the way of evil from men of perverted speech who forsake the path of righteousness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men who are, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Let's pray. God, thank you for this opportunity to look through this passage of scripture. God, to delve into this beautiful poem that is Proverbs chapter two. Lord, we may, may we already come to the text humbled. Lord, may you teach us from your word what it is that you have for us to learn today. God, I pray you would help us to apply these things to our lives. These would not just be things that we hear today and go about our daily lives uh, without having remembered that this happened, Lord. But may this, may your word come from the page and into our hearts. Pray this in your name. Amen. We will see two, in these two major sections in the book of Proverbs, we'll see two major points. First of all, we will see there is a call here to pursue a relationship with wisdom, which as we've already proved over the last couple of weeks, that wisdom is in fact Jesus Christ. We are to pursue a relationship with wisdom, with Jesus. And secondly, we will see that wisdom, again, that's Jesus, will bring both daily and ultimate deliverance. He will bring both daily and ultimate deliverance. So first of all, we'll see that pursuing a relationship, we need to pursue a relationship with wisdom, with Jesus Christ. This whole section in verses 1 through 11 is a call to seek wisdom, to seek out a relationship with Jesus. Ultimately, the pursuit of wisdom does not lead to temporal gain or to street smarts. Often we think of wisdom as somebody who has street smarts. The book of Proverbs would disagree. Rather, the book of Proverbs is calling us, the pursuit of wisdom is not, a, it does not lead to these things, but rather it leads to a relationship with the God of the scriptures. In turn, a relationship with God will bring true wisdom, wisdom that comes from the fear of the Lord. A right relationship with God is ultimately what makes one wise. Therefore, wisdom, that is Jesus, functions as the mediator who brings you into a right relationship with God. We see in verses 1 through 4 that we are to passionately pursue Christ. We're to passionately pursue Christ. Notice, notice the progression of the verbs in verses 1 through 4. It tells us to first receive, treasure, make your ear attentive, incline your heart, call out, Raise your voice, seek it, search for it. These are passionate terms, are they not? This isn't like, 
yeah, you know what? If wisdom happens, it happens. Whatever. You know, just kind of let wisdom kind of passively take place. No, the author of Proverbs, Solomon here, begs us. He is calling to us. The Lord is calling to us. Seek it out with everything you have. Make wisdom a passionate pursuit. We also see how, the, how the, these, this wisdom is also described in, in, chap, in verse 1 as commandments, right? The, the father speaking to the son says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Um, Jonathan Aiken describes it this way. He says, Proverbs 2 seems to imply that the wisdom of Proverbs is the law of Moses fleshed out in daily life. That's why the teachings are repeatedly called laws or commandments. That's why wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. Love God, which is the greatest commandment, and that leads to how you treat others. Love neighbor, which is the second. Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. In order for the son to live them out, he must internalize them. Now, I would encourage you to do this. If we're studying through the book of Proverbs, I have an audio Bible on my phone. And you can, if you do it with an audio Bible, it just makes it that much easier. Instead of sitting down, you can, you know, be doing other stuff as you're listening to it as well. Um, uh, but I would encourage you, listen to the entire book of Proverbs. Then, go back and listen to Genesis through Deuteronomy. Listen to the whole thing. You'll notice that the book of Proverbs really is just the commandments of God, the law of God lived out in daily life, showing how the law actually functions in daily life. It's pretty neat. I was pretty fascinated by that myself. Further, the king was also commanded to write the laws. So this is Solomon, the king, teaching his son how to be a good king, right? So it makes sense that these, that these proverbs would mimic the law. In Deuteronomy, the, uh, the king was commanded by God before there ever was a king. Uh, God told Moses, when there is a king, he needs to write out the law of Moses. He needs to write it out for his own copy. Have you ever done that? Have you ever written out a passage of scripture? You tend to remember it better, don't you? When you write something out, instead of just hearing it or just reading it, when you also write it out and copy it down, you remember it better. Now here it is, the king is describing to his son, who is the heir to the throne, what it means to have wisdom. And what is wisdom then? It's a right relationship with God follow, that, that is patterned after obedience to the commands of God. <clears throat> we see also that there is great value in following Christ, that Christ actually has great value. So we're passionately pursuing Christ. Why should we passionately pursue Christ? Look again at verse four. It says, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure. Jesus is ultimate value. So we use an illustration before of finding buried treasure in a field. Jesus used the exact, this very similar analogy, right? He used the same analogy of finding buried. Why? why? Why treasure? Right? The whole point, we know this. We know that the point of the Bible is not to get healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. Right? That is not the gospel. So then, what's going on here? Why are we comparing wisdom with treasure? I thought we're not supposed to seek after treasure. I thought love of money was the root of all evil, Proverbs. What are you telling me? 
What Proverbs is telling us is that is that wisdom is more valuable than these things. The way we pursue money, the way we pursue our jobs, when we pursue uh, uh, financial gain is the same way, the same passion, even greater passion, if you will, that we should follow and pursue our relationship with Christ. Now we ask ourselves this question, do we really pursue Jesus like this? Do we really pursue Jesus like this? Too often, Jesus takes a back seat in our lives. And I loved, I loved, loved, loved the children's sermon this morning. What a wonderful picture of what, what having our priorities right looks like. We think often that we don't have enough time to pursue Christ. But right, as Dee Dee showed us, if you pursue that first, the rest of the things will all be able to fit. In fact, Martin Luther, probably one of the busiest humans in the entire of, entirety of history, he wrote more books than you could, you could even, I think the full volume of his work alone, just printed in small print, double column, everything, is like 20-something volumes. And he wrote that all by hand, right? This guy wrote a lot. He was basically starting the church back over from the ground up in Germany in the 1500s. Martin Luther said that he spent four hours in prayer every morning. And people asked him, Luther, how in the world can you do that? How do you have time for that? And he said, how do I have time not to do that? How could I not? I have too much to do not to do that. Often our jobs, our kids, our families, they often take the place of Jesus in our lives. Those things determine our paths. Those things determine our actions. We find it much easier to pursue those relationships than pursuing our relationship with Jesus. Jesus in the Gospels calls his disciples to give up everything to follow him. He calls us to dethrone everything else that would take his place and seat him on the throne of our hearts. Proverbs then is telling us also that it's only when we have a right relationship with Jesus that we will receive true joy, true peace, and more specific to Proverbs, true wisdom. We must seek a relationship with Jesus. So now that we know the if, let's look at the then. What does God promise to us if we pursue a right relationship with Jesus? First, we see that only the Lord gives wisdom. Look at verse 5 here. It says, to seek this way, right, it's telling us, seek it, seek it like silver. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, for the Lord gives wisdom. The Lord is the one who gives wisdom. Only the Lord gives wisdom. We see in verse 5 that we receive a relationship. We are first given. Remember this, this is not something that we gain on our own. Notice that. Wisdom, a relationship with the Lord, is not something that we gain or attain on our own account, on our own works. This is something that is given by the Lord. We are first given a relationship. Verse 5 says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. As we saw in chapter 1 and verse 7, the fear of the Lord is a relationship with the Lord. And you will find the knowledge of God. Notice that, our allegiance precedes our understanding. 
Wisdom does not come apart from a relationship with the Lord. The wisdom that comes from the book of Proverbs does not come before a relationship with the Lord. An unbeliever, someone who is not a Christian, someone who does not trust Jesus for their salvation, cannot be helped by the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. Because the wisdom that Proverbs offers only comes through a relationship with the Lord. The book of Proverbs is not primarily a handbook of principles from the secret how-to book of God. Rather, the book of Proverbs is the proper application of the gospel in the life of the believer. So we are given a relationship. Secondly, we are also given humility. Look at verse 6 then. It shows us that the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. And it hits you right in the gut, doesn't it? I thought I was the one pursuing it. You know, I'm pursuing it, and I'm going to get it. And what does Scripture say? No. You pursue it, but God's the only one who gives. You can't get it on your own. You can't get wisdom on your own. We can never find wisdom on our own. Only God gives wisdom. Wisdom is both a pursuit and a gift. We need to be diligent and work at wisdom. As Solomon does, we need to observe the world around us and see how it works. Solomon looks at ants and is instructed. We see that in chapter 6. We need to do this as well, but we do it through the fear of the Lord, through dependence on God and on his word. And as we seek, God grants more to us. James chapter 1 and verse 5 says that if we lack wisdom, we should ask the Lord for it because he gives it generously. Solomon knows this because he asked the Lord for it in 1 Kings chapter 3. The gift of wisdom is found in God's word. Solomon's words, because this is scripture, Solomon's words in the book of Proverbs are God's words. And we should commit to them because wisdom is found here. So we are, we, are, we are given humility. Third, we are given protection from our pursuit of wisdom. Look at verse 7 and 8. It says, He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is the shield for those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. He gives us protection. Protection from what, you might ask? We'll get there, starting in verse 12. So hold that thought. The next thing we see in this first section of what, we, what, what is received uh, when we pursue a relationship with God, we also notice that wisdom will bring change. Verses 9 through 11 show this. Um, verses 9 through 11, we'll read this here. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. So wisdom will bring change. Verse 9 tells us that if we commit to the Lord's wisdom, that we will understand righteousness and the good path. Knowledge also is described here. We are told that knowledge will be pleasant. Knowledge will be pleasant. Look at verse 10. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Now remember, 
Wisdom is being described as a relationship with the Lord. Outside of a relationship with the Lord, one can only be a fool. In a relationship with the Lord, one can only find wisdom. Now, if you remember back to chapter 1 and verse 7, the whole theme of the book of Proverbs, it says the beginning of wisdom, of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And then it says this, fools despise wisdom and instruction. So this text shows us when you have a relationship with wisdom, though, there's a change that takes place. Before you received Christ, before you had a relationship with Jesus, you, re you rebelled against, you refused, you hated knowledge, you hated wisdom. And here it says that when you have a relationship with the Lord, that knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. As a Christian, we want to be corrected. We want to be shown where there is sin in our lives so that we can pursue Christ better. An unbeliever can't understand that. It is only in Christ that knowledge becomes pleasant to our souls. The knowledge from the book of Proverbs becomes pleasant to our souls. So, if you want to be a better husband, if you want to get out of credit card debt, if you want to know how much TV to watch or not to watch, you don't need someone to beat it down, to beat you down with guilt and pressure. You don't need five easy steps or seven surefire principles for that. You need a new heart. You need a new character. You need an awakening deep within. And God is saying, if you will seek me, wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. We see that this very knowledge brings protection. Look at this, verse 11 again. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. So now we ask the question again, what are we being delivered from? The second section shows us that wisdom, that is Jesus, brings daily and ultimate deliverance. Beginning in verse 12 then, the first group that we are delivered from is described. Now remember, this is not an exhaustive list. This is some illustrations, some ways that, uh, that the, the father, that Solomon, can, can show this to his son. Wisdom delivers from evil men. Look at verse 12. It says, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech. So we ask the question, who are these guys? Right? We got introduced to some wicked men in chapter 1. Are these the same people? I would say yes, and expanded on that. So who are these men? Like Satan in the garden, these men distort reality and try to get you to follow that distortion. They seduce you. That's what it means to speak perversely. Perverse speech distorts ultimate reality. The people who are saying this may genuinely believe that what they're saying is right and true and helpful. But it goes against the created order. Their words go against the way things really work. For example, a person may genuinely believe uh, that, that marriage is just about two people who really love each other rather than being a covenant relationship between one man and one woman for a lifetime. 
See, that idea that it's just about two people loving each other, it goes against the natural and God-ordained order of things. A man may truly believe that not, that, that a man truly may think that not being happy with his wife is a legitimate ground for divorce, but that goes against the order of things established by God. A boy or a young man may genuinely think that fooling around with his girlfriend before marriage just helps you to know what you like and what you don't like. But that goes against the order of things and God calls and, and God's call to be holy. Perverted speech calls sin good and rejoices in evil. Proverbs twenty four twenty four states that whoever says to the guilty, You are innocent. Peoples will curse him and the nations will denounce him. Justifying someone's sin or saying that it's not a sin is perverse speech. For example, it is perverse speech to tell someone that their grudge against another is warranted because the hurt perpetrated against them was very severe. It's not right in the eyes of God. Proverbs 30, verse 20 says that that this is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. People can find all kinds of ways to justify their sin as if it's not wrong. It's okay for me to flirt with this woman at work because my wife doesn't respond to me the way that she should. With our mouths, we justify and rationalize and minimize our sin or the sins of others. Any person, hear me, any person who will counsel you in such a way as to justify sin in your life is someone of perverted speech and should be avoided. They're leading you down dark paths and they rejoice in evil they ultimately will take you down the twisted path towards death. Second person we're called to avoid here is the evil woman. In verse 16, it says, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. In the book of Proverbs, the forbidden woman plays a pretty important role. She comes up a lot. Um, This is the first appearance of the forbidden woman. She is consistently portrayed as the primary competitor for the son's attention and affection because of her flirtatious talk says her smooth words here in your text in verse 16. Her for, he's, she's constantly uh, competing with the father's words because she has flirtatious talk. Remember verse 1, it says, he says, he encourages the son to listen to his words and his commandments. And in verse 6, to the Lord's words. And here she is offering words as well. Her flirtatious talk, her smooth words. Now the question is, who will the son listen to? Now here in the text, she refers to a literal person with whom the son can commit sexual sin. But later she will be personified as woman folly. 
In chapter 9, woman folly is described in the exact same way as the forbidden woman, as an exact parallel and opposite to woman wisdom. Folly will be described the same way. If the son pursues a relationship with woman wisdom, or with woman folly, excuse me, if the son pursues a relationship with woman folly and commits sexual sin with her, it will reveal that he has rejected his father. He has rejected wisdom, and he has rejected the Lord. It will mean that he is in a relationship with woman folly instead of woman wisdom. This is not shocking, since we see all over the place in Scripture that sexual sin and spiritual sin are tied together. Adultery is the distortion of the most intimate human relationship with our, in, in reference to our relationship with our spouse. And in 1 Corinthians 6, as well as in the book of Hosea, it reveals that, there is, that, it is also a, that sexual sin is also a distortion of the most intimate spiritual relationship, our relationship with God. Notice how Proverbs tell, tells us it is, his, it is her words that attract the son. Right? She's attracted, it's with her smooth words. One of the wisest people I know told Charity and I during our premarital counseling that communication breeds intimacy. So, communication in a marriage is what will ultimately bring intimacy in a marriage. Can I get an amen? Guys, come on. Right? Communication in a marriage is what brings intimacy in a marriage. Likewise, communication outside of marriage has the danger of bringing intimacy outside of marriage. Most of us think that unfaithfulness starts with physical attraction, but that's not the case in the book of Proverbs. Adultery and sexual sin start with flattery. One of the top needs that men have is respect and admiration. So, if a woman inflates the male ego, he will usually respond. They are suckers for flattery. This may start in a subtle way that the man doesn't recognize as unwise. His co-worker might lend a sympathetic ear, or she may laugh at his jokes. He may think of their conversations as just harmless flirting. Or perhaps he justifies his flirtations with, I'm not happy at home. Before long, he starts to look forward to work events that she will be at. Or he begins to send secret Facebook messages to her or other social media. Before he knows it, he's cheating on his wife. And it all started with what many looking on would justify as just harmless conversation. This can happen with women too. Solomon is teaching his son, but if he were teaching his daughter, he could warn her about forbidden men that flatter her with words to get women to do what they want. Ultimately, what we see here is that any sexual activity outside of marriage's covenant commitment before God and witnesses to your heterosexual spouse is sinful, foolish, and deadly. Look where it leads in verse uh, 18 and 19. For her house sinks down to death, her paths to the departed. Another way of saying death. 
None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. This destruction may happen now with the loss of your family, your reputation, or your money, alimony, or maybe it will happen later at judgment before the Lord. But mark it down, this will happen. These are promises from the book of Proverbs, and they will happen. The wages of sexual sin is death with no hope of return. So what's the antidote? How can we be saved? Proverbs 2 says that it's a right relationship with God through wisdom that is Jesus, our vertical relationship. And Proverbs 5 shows us that it is through an intimate relationship with your wife, a horizontal relationship. Last we see in this section that wisdom also delivers us to eternal blessing. Look at verse 20. It says, So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. This is an interesting tie. Again, like I've mentioned before, reading the book of Proverbs alongside Genesis through Deuteronomy is super helpful. Right here in the immediate context, the people of Israel were told over and over and over again when God gave the law that if you obey me, if you follow me, if you continue to follow me, you'll be safe in the land. Your enemies will not remove you from the land. You'll be safe there, and I'll protect you. But if you don't, follow me, if you don't fear me, if you don't obey my commands, if you don't keep the commands that I have given you, foreigners will come in and root you out of your land. And here, the author of Proverbs does the exact same thing. says, so you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity remain in it. The upright and the person with integrity, those are people who are in a right relationship with God. So in Israel, when it comes to Israel and the law, this promise was for continued safety in the land, for Jesus and for Christians, right? For Christians in our relationship with Jesus, the promise here is of ultimate safety in the ultimate promised land, the new creation, the new heavens, and the new earth. God promises here, and the Proverbs promises here, if you seek a relationship with wisdom, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are promised eternal security with Christ forever in the new creation. What a glorious thought. But then we might ask the question, what if we don't? Proverbs is an answer for that. Verse 22, but the wicked... The wicked are the same people who are the fools, the people who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. For Israel, this meant that if they pursued other gods, if they refused to worship the Lord, if they refused to obey his commands, then God would remove them from the land. And ultimately, he does this over several different occasions. And there's one big time when he does this, when the nation of Babylon comes and takes the people of Israel out of the land and they are removed from the land for 70 years. 
because Solomon was not wise. Yes, he had wisdom. Yes, he knew Jesus, but he did not pursue the relationship rightly. In fact, he brought in women. He brought in the strange women, the very strange women that he uh, warns his son about. He brought them in to the nation, and he led the people to idolatry. His son, Rehoboam, was not wise. Instead of following the advice of the elders of the people of Israel, rather, he chose to follow the advice of his young men, of his friends, who told him, don't be easy on the people, be harder on them. And what happened? The kingdom was split in two. Ten of the tribes of Israel said, we're not having any part of this. And they left. And Israel and Judah were split. And that split remained until after the Babylonian captivity. It's a sad story. Ultimately, though, there's an ultimate reality to that same story. To not pursue wisdom, to not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to be an unbeliever, to be the wicked person who is the unbeliever, who is the fool, the treacherous person who is the unbeliever, who is the fool, says they will be cut off from the land, they will be rooted out of it. In other words, this is a promise of eternal death in hell. If you choose not to pursue Jesus, if you choose not to pursue a relationship with him, if you choose rather to follow and do what is right in your own eyes, there's a promise here. You'll get exactly what you're looking for. You'll be right in your own eyes, but you'll be separated from God forever in a place called hell. So in conclusion, Jesus is not only the promise, is not only the wisdom of Proverbs, but... He is the son who perfectly listens to the father. There's good news here. <clears throat> he perfectly listens to the father. He perfectly keeps the covenant and he, av- and he avoids uh, Im- immorality. However, in the end, Jesus takes the penalty that covenant breakers like us deserve. He went down into death for sexual sinners like us. But three days later, he triumphantly returned to the paths of life. Through his life, death, and resurrection, he has defeated all of our enemies. It is not inevitable that, we will, that they will drag you down to death. He can rescue you from them by empowering you to walk in wisdom. It's not inevitable that they will cause your exile from God forever. Jesus came out of death to inherit the whole earth, and you can be his co-heir if you are united to him by faith. If you find yourself giving in to evil and constantly rationalizing your sin or being enslaved to sexual sin, the circumstances may be revealing that you're not listening to the voice of wisdom. You've instead been seduced by the voice of another. You see, our problem is not that we aren't trying hard enough or that we are just stupid. Ultimately, when we find ourselves stuck in sin, our problem is that we are not walking with Jesus. If that's true, come to Jesus, the wisdom of God, and follow his leading voice. Listen to him. He has the words of life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day.
Thank you for this opportunity to look at this text. Lord, thank you for the gift of salvation, that, Lord, we can have a relationship with wisdom. We can have that relationship, and that relationship leads to life. Lord, I fail so many times, so many times. I am the fool in the book of Proverbs. But praise be to God that you have given us an opportunity, a chance to find wisdom. And Lord, wisdom is not just some how-to kind of list of things, Lord. Wisdom is a relationship with you. Lord, you cover my foolishness. You take away my foolishness. You forgive my foolishness. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today who does not know you as their Savior, does not have a relationship with you, I pray that they would surrender to you today so they can be in right relationship with you, Lord, so that they can have the fear of the Lord that leads to wisdom. Lord, if there's a believer here who is not following you, is not pursuing their relationship with you with the kind of intensity that you call us to, God, I pray that you would help them to seek forgiveness and to begin again, to refresh and begin again to pursuing that relationship with you. Pray this all in your name. Amen.